Do not attempt to adjust the settings on your device. The sounds you hear are not hallucinations. You have crossed into the domain of a traveler that has a taste for telling tales about the macabre, the strange, the unusual, and the morbid. Don't be shy. Step inside and take a seat by the fire and enjoy your visit into the world that is the Nightcap Nebula. Welcome to the Season 4 premiere of the Nightcap Nebula Podcast. If you're joining me for the first time, welcome. To everyone else, I hope you are continuing to enjoy your eternal stay. It feels like this humble narrator has been away for some time, and it can be hard to maintain consistency, especially with other interdimensional obligations that continue to pile up. I did manage to release a Halloween special in collaboration with my spectral colleagues on the BooPod network in my sabbatical, so go give them a listen. It is scary fun. With that in mind, I have covered many topics on this program ranging from unspeakable evil such as the female concentration camp guards of the Third Reich to otherworldly craziness like the back rooms. Yes, I do get around, but you benefit from my journeys and I consider that a big win. There is still lots lurking out there, including right above your heads. The sun? No. Perhaps the sky? Getting warmer. Think invisible with every second of every day that they are up in the air, completely unseen, and totally influencing nearly every aspect of your life, either consciously or subconsciously. I'll give you a bigger hint if you still can't figure it out. The intro for my program uses them. You can hear them. They call to you, like they called you to the segment and back to my realm, next to the crackling fire. Yes, the static is lifting as you tune into something a bit clearer, with the words coming in. Radio waves. For those of you old enough to remember the TVs with bunny ears, or listening to stuff like The Green Hornet in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the UK, you're familiar with the unusual nature of how these mediums work the odd sounds you can hear with distortions at times, and how your program can become interrupted by atmospheric conditions or attempts to be hijacked. With that being said, this is not only for you old-timers, but for the next generations out there that take their tech for granted, not knowing the cool yet ominous nature of these primitive forms of entertainment, and how innately interesting their history has been, not to mention the mysteries they are often shrouded in. So, without further ado... I'll just adjust my dial so you can properly listen to the top 10 unsettling radio stations and transmissions. Everyone loves a good cartoon. Growing up, I'm sure you all have your favorites, and generational gaps have provided quite a varied amount of humor that reaches people ranging from age 5 to as old as 95. Of course, you have situations where using said cartoons can be a benevolent or malicious act. Then there are the in-betweens, such as the case with Yosemite Sam transmission. 
First emerging on December 19, 2004, it transmits on several shortwave frequencies and was given a designation based since the transmission begins with a character from the popular Looney Tunes cartoon show saying one of his popular lines from the 1949 episode Bunker Hill Bunny, which is as follows. Each play starts on a lower frequency than the last and takes about 2 minutes total to complete each data burst. It always begins 7 seconds every hour after the top of the hour. Two amateur radio operators claim to have tracked down the source of Yosemite Sam in February 2005 as being located at the Mitak Center in Laguna, New Mexico, a factory owned by Laguna Industries. As they took pictures of the site and the surrounding area, they were approached by security guards and left. Then three hours later, as if the ones responsible somehow knew, the radio transmission allegedly stopped with no more transmissions being played since. The long-standing theory is the two amateurs stumbled upon a military installation and fearing that they had been compromised by civilian interest, quickly moved their test to another facility. Based on the reaction, this is most likely the culprit, but some still believe in a Men in Black scenario, where the station was being used to manipulate a small portion of the population through broadcasts and, when the operators found them, quickly packed up and dismantled their experiment. Whatever the case, we most likely will never know. What pesky varmint decide to pull this root tootinous sleuthinous lily livered stunt? Whoever it is, they better start walking the long ear galoot your sails back where they came from because I'm the fastest gun north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hmm, you get the idea. Soothing sounds can help you sleep and give you better REM so that your dreams are more peaceful. This, however, is not one of those situations. In fact, if you heard this station, you would probably get very irritated and not want to rest at all, especially based on the nickname it gets. Let's take a look at the Backwards Music Station, aka Whale Song. Before we go into the inner workings of this, let's discuss XM. No, not the satellite radio network, but it does operate on a frequency. Simply put, it is the audio that is accidentally transmitted and comes in as feedback, sometimes shrill and sharp and other times a bit less. It is always inaudible and always annoying though. If you ever had an old cell phone next to old PC speakers that is about to receive a call, you'll catch a glimpse of said sounds. It used to be classified as nothing more than a noise station until an organization called Enigma 2000 gave it an actual ID. The phenomena originated in the beginning of May 2004 on a high kilohertz frequency and was again observed shortly after. Both signals were very strong in parts of Europe and lasted until around the end of June that same year. Some people reported hearing low inaudible voices over the transmission and it created what can only be called a whale-like sonorous pitch. Here is a sample. <laughs> Many assumed that it was based in Russia due to the reception it got in many parts of Europe being well received from nearly every country, but there was never any real evidence to back this up as it was also available on the high frequency global communication system. Other theories claim these signals could be a form of communication called linear compression expansion, which was a known system used as a communication method both by commercial and defense industries, and one Enigma correspondent says that it was a pilot tone-seeking lock, which was associated with the Air Force during training exercises. 
This was soon debunked, however, in August of 2004, when Robert G. Dumrow, a licensed ham radio operator, sent his comment to Enigma. Robert worked for Nevada Solar Designs in Sparks, Nevada, and has considerable past experience of working with Lin Compact systems, claiming that the warble of the voice and transmission does not sync up with the amplitude, and if it came through the way the theory suggests, it would be a much higher frequency, and would absolutely be understood far more than it has been. To prove this, he said that you can recreate this yourself by using various frequency equipment including a few receivers and a microphone. You can go online and find this yourself. Still, even with the valid explanations, no one is really sure what these freaky signals do, or if they even mean anything. I wonder if I can get any old episodes of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland or Under the Umbrella Tree on this one. Wait, you've never heard of those shows? Bunch of savages around here. Ah, the UK. Full of esoteric whimsy and lots of fun food. Hey, the cuisine has improved since the 80s. You know what else has improved? Programming. There used to be what was called BBC channels, numbering in only around 15 or so with very limited stuff, so most people listened to the radio. Weird things came in, and some fondly remember hearing the strange ones, such as the Lincolnshire Poacher Station. Also categorized as a number station, this is one of the most talked about examples of this in the UK, with adults listening to it when they were children in the 1960s, hearing the catchy tune that it played, which was as follows. <laughs> During the 1970s, it used a male voice with non-electronic music and it transmitted from Her Majesty's Government Communication Centre in Gawcott near Buckinghamshire, England in AM mode. It was a common victim of heavy jamming attempts like many other number stations from that era due to a big amount of ham radio amateurs dabbling in shortwaves. Also known as EO3, it was also once featured on BBC Radio, where recording samples from the station were played on the air. As of 2008, it is defunct, but the modern version transmitted from a large military site in Cyprus. Although it was originally thought to be transmitted from Egypt, this was not the case. At the beginning of the hour, it would appear with its opening interval music, with the first verse being from an English folk tune known as the Lincolnshire Poacher to sound like a calliope machine. After the music played, a female voice machine would identify who the message was for with a five-digit call-up. The message was announced by three chimes and the voice would read 200 message groups. All transmissions lasted for 45 minutes It would appear every day of the week from 12pm to 10pm. The voice was unique to most number stations because, unlike others, this station had a very lifelike manner in which it read its messages and the last two numbers in each group would go up in pitch to mimic a personality shift. Lincolnshire transmissions were last logged in the summer of 2008, with a lesser-known sister station ceasing to operate a year later. The last logs of it were on July 2nd and possibly on July 3rd of 2008, but it is hard to pinpoint exactly when they stopped broadcasting. For all you radio historians out there, author Simon Mason has a website up that has pictures of the antenna where the station broadcasted and the surrounding area as it stands today. I don't know if a jingle would hold my interest because there isn't any mind control attached to this one like, oh, <laughs> sorry, 
almost gave away some secrets. Numbers stations seem to play a big part in early technological development with military installations sending out encoded signals that only a few trained people can pick up on and translate. It is interesting to note how stale or how complicated and amusing they can get though. How about Swedish Rhapsody Station? Lots have heard of it, but most don't know its history. Apparently there is an old instrumental of the same name that is a classic hymn. What is interesting is that for years this was misclassified and the declassified documents showed the name as Luxembourg Polka, so people apparently misheard what the song was, even its opposite as they were. Based on the age of the song, you can probably surmise that this was mid-50s and early 60s which was when it was first identified. It was first operated by the Polish State Security, then the Office for State Protection. It was last heard on April 9th, 1998, and was replaced by another agent-activating number station, although the new voice associated with the new transmission had a similar voice to Rhapsody, they were not related. The original voice was generated using the Stasi Sprach machine, like many other German number stations, but was usually manipulated to sound much higher than typically heard. If listened closely, certain characteristics of this machine can be heard, such as the hard R in Dre. Because of the pitch, in some, this station's voice can sound like a little girl's, and to others an adult woman. The triple message format of Rhapsody has two additional messages and headers to those messages. The third message is also 50 groups long instead of 100. Originally, Rhapsody had always sent three messages together, but in 1988, it started sending one 100 group messages and sometimes two. As of the early 90s, this station is now inactive and any and all recordings of the station can be found pieced together online. You decide how it sounds. Mama just activated a man, put a gun into his hand, sent him to America, now he's dead. <laughs> a little bit of Bohemian Rhapsody humor, but probably not too far from the truth. Humans have a thing with sound because their ears can only tolerate certain types. Too high, it causes pain, and too low, it can cause annoyance distracting people like the Tao's hum. Even stations exist that exhibit this phenomenon and still leave people a bit on edge about what the purpose of it was, such as the case with UVB-76 aka the buzzer station. The earliest known recording of UVB-76 is from 1982 originating from Russia, but it's been broadcasting at the 4625 kHz frequency since the late 70s and possibly earlier during the Cold War, most likely as a way to send encoded messages in a scrambled form to other Russian installations. For decades, what message UVB-76 was broadcasting non-stop to whom it was trying to communicate and from where in Russia it originated was anyone's guess. What has aired during that time has varied, but from 1982, when the station was first recorded, to 1992, all the buzzer ever seemed to transmit were beeps. After 1992, it changed from beeps to buzzes, 
with each lasting about a second, followed by a weird ship foghorn sound. To add to the eerie nature, every few weeks, a man or woman could be heard rattling off random numbers, names, or words. Here's a sample of the buzzing. Once an hour, like clockwork, it would send out two quick buzzes with no real reasoning behind this. Experts that looked over the buzzes could find no hidden information within the buzzes either. Then suddenly, on June 5th, 2010, UVB-76 stopped entirely, only to resume a day later. It was the first time it had stopped broadcasting for any amount of time since it was first discovered decades earlier. For the following several weeks, it resumed its normal function, but in the middle of August, it suddenly stopped and restarted a few times before going entirely off the rails on August 25th. And here is where things get really scary. After some initial silence, listeners heard something odd, and not in a curiosity type of way. It sounded like people shuffling around and moving things inside a small room. The station's broadcast was intermittent for the next week or two, and bits of music from Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake could be heard. Then, at 8.48pm Moscow time, on September 7th, 2010, a male voice was heard issuing a new call sign, Mikhail Dmitry Zenya Boris, interpreted by listeners as MDZHB. The voice continued with 04979DRENDOUT. More random numbers, the letters T-R-E-N-E-R-S-K-I-Y followed by more numbers. This has never been solved, and not much is known about what this broadcast meant. As for theories on what UVB-76 slash MDZHB, which is a new designation, is or was, some claim it was a conclave of radio pirates simply pranking the world or the Russian army's way of communicating with submarines. A more popular one is that it is a number station conveying orders to sleeper agents, or perhaps it was an old Russian military dead hand, a system designed to observe military frequencies and measure everything from radiation levels to changes in the ionosphere. In other words, if a nuclear war broke out and annihilated the Soviet Union, it could automatically launch a nuclear counterstrike with no human intervention, since the Soviet Union no longer exists. This is more or less mired in old world Soviet tech and probably would have been dismantled long ago. However, before the station name switch, experts attempted to triangulate the signal and narrowed it down to a Russian military base outside of Provoro, which is only 29 miles from Moscow, which made the dead hand theory more credible. But when the name of the station changed, the signal did as well. Even after this, the plot still gets thicker. About a year after the name switch, urban explorers went to investigate. There they found a military base that was abandoned with scattered broken equipment empty buildings and a healthy guard dog tied to a tree. Hmm. They also found a logbook detailing all the broadcasts sent from the station between October 3rd, 2005 and December 7th, 2005. 
One entry from October 4th read, at 8.30, a guard dog has put on place on post 173. Interviews with locals still living in Paravaro said one night in 2010 after a dense fog had rolled in, the Russian military quickly and efficiently evacuated the station in less than 90 minutes. The new station's location has since been more problematic to pinpoint. Some triangulation efforts put it in the sparsely populated town of Krisino and others in the Prosk Oblast close to the border of Estonia. Still, others believe the station is broadcasting from two completely different locations. Amidst swampy peat bogs and grass marshlands of Leningrad sits the alleged first location, a transmission site with over 30 antennas known as Kira Massive that belongs to Russia's 60th communication hub. It's believed to be merely a relay station and the actual broadcasts come from within St. Petersburg. The second suspected location is called Narofomsk in Moscow and is said to be part of Russia's 69th communication hub. The rabbit hole gets a bit deeper after this. On January 24th, 2013, the words Oblefian Commanda 135, also known as Command 135 issued in English, were heard. According to the BBC, this test order was sent to Russia's military and intelligence agencies that be issued if the country befell a disaster or is invaded, which leads experts to believe that the likeliest explanation for UVB-76 slash MDZHB is an anything sinister, but simply a way for the Russian military to communicate with its units spread out across a vast expanse. With a total area of 6,601,665 square miles, Russia comprises 11% of the globe. Ironically, in January 2022, the station suddenly began broadcasting songs such as Psy's hit Gangnam Style and other noise packets that displayed internet memes if run through a spectrum analyzer. Hackers were credited with hijacking the 4,625 kilohertz frequency for amusement. We can probably guess where those computer wizards are now. The gulag. All that beeping and booping is a bit much. Makes you feel like you're in a sci-fi movie. Let's just hope that this really is just a primitive way to relay information and not an elaborate plan to enact a sick game of Scorched Earth. Those of you that are not modern history buffs, Russia wasn't the only one that was involved in the Cold War since Russia had an unlikely ally, Cuba. Fidel Castro put an embargo on trade with America, Kennedy had the Cuban Missile Crisis, and the Bay of Pigs disaster to remove Castro to contend with. It was a tumultuous time with nuclear war looming on the horizon, and with it came communications and coded messages. In Cuba's case, theirs was simply called Attention. Also given the designation A-02, this station first operated in the 1960s and is believed to be the world's first number station to officially and publicly be accused of transmitting to spies. Lots of international espionage was in full swing with communism or the Red Scare propaganda infiltrating the minds of Americans, especially during the 50s and after World War II. Lots of international espionage was in full swing with communism or the Red Scare propaganda, infiltrating the minds of Americans, especially after World War II in the 50s. The hysteria carried over the years and Cuba initiated their support of Russian spies, as well as Cuban spies, by enacting a station designed to notify and activate sleeper cells and active agents in their country as well as the states. Here is what it sounded like. Okay. 
The group responsible for this broadcast was the WASP Network of Cuban Spies and, in 1997, it became the focal point in the espionage trial of the organization following their arrest. The U.S. prosecutors claimed they were writing down number codes received from Atencion using Sony handheld shortwave receivers and typing the numbers into laptop computers to decode instructions for their spies. The FBI testified that they had entered a spy's apartment in 1995 and copied the computer decryption program for the Attention Numbers Code. They used it to decode Attention spy messages, which the prosecutors unveiled in court, and some of them were. Prioritize and continue to strengthen friendship with Joe and Dennis. Under no circumstances should agents German nor Castor fly with BTTR, or the Anti-Castro Airborne Group Brothers to the Rescue or another organization on days 24, 25, 26, and 27. You would think this kind of espionage is long gone, but people are still being arrested today, and since the number station is still broadcasting, it may still be used by some splinter organizations and Fidel Castro loyalists. For example, in 2006, a couple in Florida were arrested for espionage stating that the defendants received assignments via shortwave radio transmissions, and in 2009, Walter Kendall Myers was arrested for conspiracy to spy for Cuba, receiving broadcasts from the Cuban Intelligence Directorate. The list goes on and on, and as of 2016, even North Korea has started to revive number stations after putting them on hiatus for 16 years, and what intelligence experts suggest is their idea of putting out psychological warfare. Other countries are gearing up to figure out each move and how these may be used in the future. You all may want to spark up a big fat delitado, or slow burning cigar, and savor the flavor, because if things keep progressing like they are, the only gourmet goods that will come from Cuba might come in body bags. War is death, despair, suffering, and no one really wins. Just degrees of losing and loss. History has shown that war sometimes gives humanity a leg up, technologically speaking, but at what a cost it is. Modern warfare utilizes this tech to a sinister end, and sometimes the end result is decades of psychological fallout for all involved, and there is no better example than Operation Wandering Soul. During the war in Vietnam, the US military had its hands full with the Viet Cong and their brutal guerrilla tactics from falling into hidden tiger traps and sneaky traps under civilian clothing and bodies to cleverly disguised trip mines and soldiers popping up from their vast tunnel network to ambush unsuspecting battalions. The US was not as equipped to deal with this as they had only bare bones experience with the Japanese in the Pacific Theater in World War II, which saw similar tactics, but it varied from island to island, and a lot of fighting was out in the open rather than dense vegetation. However, during this time, the US military also devised ways of attempting to demoralize the enemy not through their enemy's methods, but through psychological warfare, first used on the Germans, then later during Vietnam, on the Viet Cong, which played on their beliefs and superstitions. The Vietnamese do have similar beliefs in what happens to you after you die. Proper burial, laid to rest, prayers, etc. The US military was aware of Vietnamese beliefs surrounding death, with the U.S. Military Assistance Command Vietnam having written a report in December of 1969 outlining the types of ghosts that could be used in different psychological warfare campaigns. This was an attempt at demoralization and persuading the Viet Cong and the NVA or People's Army of Vietnam to defect. 
U.S. military engineers spent weeks recording ghostly sounds at a studio in Saigon. South Vietnamese and defected Viet Cong soldiers were also brought in to record their own audio to increase the authenticity of the tapes. Among the sounds recorded included the cries of women and children, the banging of gongs, howling noises, voices of Viet Cong descendants, and iterations of some of the scariest ghosts of Vietnamese folklore. This included the Tightening Knot Ghost, which was intended to convince enemy troops to die by suicide after whispering Coco, which is neck in Vietnamese. Here is a sample of one of the dreaded recordings. <laughs> Military personnel would start blaring the tapes at 8 p.m. and play them all night long, often from patrol craft fast swift boats and helicopters. Special infantry and foot soldiers would also be deployed behind enemy lines to play the recordings on speakers strapped to their backs or hung from trees. The U.S. military also had dedicated battalions for its special warfare operations. One was the 6th Psychological Operations Battalion, which was initiated in Vietnam in November 1965. Its men were among those who utilized the tapes against the Viet Cong and North Vietnamese. One recording dubbed Ghost Tape No. 10 was typically played in areas where the Viet Cong were known to be hiding. It was allegedly hard to ignore them too, as they were played so loud that the sound traveled through the underground tunnels that snaked to the Vietnamese jungle. The real question is, were the recordings as effective as they hoped they would be? Well, there are mixed opinions. There were a number of Viet Cong defections during the time it was in effect, including 150 who feared being killed by tigers after hearing audio with animal sounds, so a combination of the two may have been circumstantial. Where the operation had the most impact was among civilians. Rumors began to spread among locals about certain areas being haunted, with some farmers going so far as to refuse work near where the tapes were broadcasted. The tapes were so effective that troops were advised to avoid playing them near where South Vietnamese forces were stationed. They were as susceptible as the Viet Cong and North Vietnamese Army, said Raymond Dietrich, who commanded the 6th Psychological Operations Battalion. There was a weird diminishing return and somewhat of an advantage that troops used against the enemy after it was revealed that they knew the recordings were fake. Viet Cong forces were ordered to fire on anyone that hauled around speakers playing the sounds, but what ended up happening was they revealed their position by attacking these soldiers, leading the U.S. to be able to coordinate effective charges and strikes on these areas. Near the end of the war, U.S. intelligence decided to abandon this operation altogether since the war was dubbed unwinnable, and even if they wanted to inflict as much damage as possible, they were more interested in winning the remaining hearts and minds of the citizens instead. The sounds of war echo through history like a ghostly scythe. Those that experience it know its deadly cut, but those that have only seen it and not directly participated know what it can do. Be mindful and stay alert. The idea that number stations, or even weird stations in general, have to follow a pattern or make sense has been a relatively understood rule in the world of radio, but that doesn't always ring true. Sometimes when you tune into a station, you pick up static or even barely audible voices due to distance or just poor reception. Why then do some seem to break the so-called rules and have no discernible purpose, as is the case with E9 Magnetic Field Station? 
First heard in February of 95, on Mondays around 10pm over AM, it used to be only identifiable by nondescript Arabic music, but was later replaced by the interval music that utilized a track called Magnetic Fields by French electronic musician Jean-Michel Jarre from his 1981 LP. It turns out the station was changed over early on from E9 to V08, which explains the music difference. It repeated the same message over and over again, having very poor reception and a staggered schedule, and continued this way until May of the same year, where it seemed to clear up a bit. After its initial Mondays at 10pm, it started to air at odd times on Saturdays around 9am, and earlier times on Monday, and sometimes, even those times were not guaranteed, being either delayed, or they wouldn't transmit at all. Here's what it would sound like if you managed to catch it coming in. Speculations swirl that it originated from a North African country based on triangulation efforts, and some believe it was somewhere in Egypt based on the type of music that it first used, but there isn't much evidence to go on. This is also one of the shortest number stations having only a two-year run before the last recorded transmission in July of 97. There's a lot of theories as to why it ceased to operate after a very small window. Some claim it was a test pattern for a new broadcast that was shifted elsewhere when it became no longer valid, and others claim it was an amateur radio operator's toying with frequencies. Whatever the case, the mystery is unsolved. I like to toss a few Pink Floyd songs over a sketchy broadcast. Maybe the entire playlist of The Wall. Hey, if Dark Side of the Moon can reportedly sync up with The Wizard of Oz, I can have my fun as well. The Middle East has a lot of dead zones where it can be very easy to move around undetected for months or even years on end, making encoded broadcasts nearly impossible to hone in on. However, sometimes hiding in plain sight can be just as stealthy as is the case with the E-10 Mossad station. The broadcast was first heard around the late 60s or possibly early 70s, and it uses live voice announcers before switching over to an automated phonetic sounding voice that was relayed in NATO letters for code instead of numerics, which is why it was the most unique of all the number stations. Here's what the later version sounded like. Oddly enough, E10 was reported to broadcast from Israel's capital Tel Aviv, having Mossad origins, which is an organization that deals in counterintelligence, covert operations, and intelligence gathering, and reports only to the Prime Minister, making this station very valuable. 
Signals were noted to be intensely strong within the city, with it transmitting an AM mode, and were simulcast every hour and half hour on several frequencies most likely to avoid jamming attempts. Three-letter call signs for the station were numerous, sometimes with a suffix to determine the status of the message. One indicated the transmission was merely a test, and two indicated a null or invalid message. There were two types of transmissions, high and low traffic. The high traffic station IDs were seen often on the usual daily schedules happening on the hour and half hour, while the low traffic stations usually did not send messages. Most of the time they followed the no traffic transmission format. The high traffic station IDs were seen often on the usual daily schedules happening on the hour and half hour, when the low traffic stations usually did not send messages. Most of the time they followed the no traffic transmission format. However, there was technically a third, the non-traffic station. That one seemed to have never sent any messages and were rare to see in the first place. They were possibly used for a mission-specific purpose or some sort of other means, most likely military, in nature. Some of the non-traffic IDs could go years without being heard and then suddenly were used again. As technology advanced significantly, E-10 ceased its shortwave operations in March of 2011, most likely going digital or via satellite, to keep encryptions on a rotating basis and its enemies chasing its tail, trying to crack them, their efforts futile and in vain. As of today, it is just part of the airwaves, one of many communiques drifting around the globe in pieces, until it is encoded again. Ever heard the term black bagged? CIA operatives use it on insurgents and informants. It simply means snatch and grab, taking whoever to a site that they will be interrogated, most likely tortured, and possibly held indefinitely. Think about the orders that go through these broadcasts, and how many of them are just like this. Frightening, isn't it? Finally, we're going back to my favorite point in history, World War II. Why is it of such intrigue? Well, it shaped the past 90 years more significantly than you could possibly know. America is the powerhouse that it is due to it, and the current landscape still echoes its destructive cries. Not all of it was bad. Some of it was creative as hell. The Navy, Army, Marines, and Air Force were feverish, trying to fool the Nazis and Japanese by playing tricks with their intelligence, but they only got so far. But stateside, local federal agencies had their own way in helping the war effort, and that is where the FBI comes into play with the Benson House Station. Operating from 1942 to 1945, this incredibly ordinary red wood frame house overlooking the Long Island Sound was built in 1912 after the land was acquired by the FBI. It blends in so well that no one had any idea of what its true intentions were. In fact, it wasn't until recently that it was uncovered what it was used for, somehow surviving its hidden secrets for countless decades, which is a shame because its history runs deep. After the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, U.S. personnel were scrambling to get intel on just what was going on overseas, especially in the land of the rising sun. Weeks after the incident, the FBI began using the Benson River House, also known as the Waiting River House by some, as a top-secret radio site transmitting and receiving encoded messages with German intelligence agents in Hamburg, Germany. The Germans believed they were communicating with their espionage agents operating in New York. FBI radio operators transmitted a blend of accurate and false information to the Germans from January 1942 to the end of the war in Europe in May 1945. To make sure their cover wasn't blown, they added extra camouflage by moving in one of their agents and his family, Domworth Johnson, 
His wife cooked, cleaned, and domesticated the dwelling, and did all the things that a family would do. The other agents traveled by night, only operating the station during the day. A cover story was developed that Johnson suffered from tuberculosis and was therefore deferred from military service. The house was outfitted by FBI technicians with several large shortwave radios and supporting equipment. Antenna were hidden in the nearby trees and intruders were discouraged by Clifford, the agent's large German shepherd. As you can probably imagine, the radio equipment drew enormous amounts of electricity and, not wanting to attract unwanted attention from the local utility companies, agents powered their equipment using the engine from a Buick, which they bolted to the basement floor with the car's muffler dampening the sound of the engine. It turns out the Benson House may have changed history as well. Its role was pivotal in President Roosevelt's decision in the spring of 1942 to pursue development of the atomic bomb when information received there indicated that Germany was very interested in developing high explosives from atoms. If communications like that were never intercepted, chances were high that the US would have put the Manhattan Project on hold, which was the site where the development of the bombs Fat Man and Little Boy were built. Of course, because of this, the Allies developed the bombs, and the Third Reich was only playing around with their V-2 rocket facilities, not really considering the atom bomb as viable. A year later, the Benson House may have changed history again. In the summer of 1943, FBI transmissions gave the Germans bogus information designed to freeze their forces in Northwest Europe to prevent the redeployment to strengthen the Italian and Eastern fronts, which gave the Allies an edge in pushing forward in their operations. Then in 1944 and 1945, the Benson House added one final nail in the coffin to the Germans by feeding them true and false information regarding the times and locations of the D-Day invasion, confusing the enemy about the Allies' disposition in Great Britain. All of these tactics greatly influenced how the Axis perceived their adversaries, leading to a smaller casualty count, less plans falling apart, and stronger campaign advances. Besides these monumental achievements, the Benson House also did things like give the enemy false military plans and pacific advances, which were nothing to sneeze at, as they too served vital roles. Near the end of the war in June 1945, the entire operation was dismantled and all personnel was ordered to remove all evidence of their presence, leaving not one trace for anyone to discover. Soon after, the Episcopal Diocese of Long Island purchased the property and developed Camp DeWolf, a retreat center and summer camp. About 25 camp buildings were built on the formerly heavily wooded property around the house, but the house itself and the land around it remained intact. In 2014, on the 70th anniversary of D-Day, the Bureau erected a plaque on the house commemorating the agent's efforts involved in the enemy espionage. Then in 2018, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced that the house was being listed on the National Registry as a historic monument protecting it from being dismantled or altered in any way, showing just how important this piece of military history has become. It is unclear if you can visit this place as it says permanently closed, but you could always inquire. Amazing how something simple like a radio transmission can potentially make or break a conflict. Words have more power than bullets and have always been known to kill. Silver-tongued devils take notice that you use your vocal weapons sparingly, lest you speak out of turn. Loose lips sink ships, never rang more true. And so at last we come to the end of our antenna amplification of torrid data waves. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed narrating. Be sure to comment, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
Tune in on the first of every month for new episodes, as well as the 15th for a much shorter segment called Rapid Fire Reality. Also, be sure to follow me on Instagram at the Nightcap Nebula Pod for updates to the program, links to affiliates, and my merch store where you can buy shirts, stickers, and perhaps a mug to clasp near the fire. Until next time, be safe and stay curious.